Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Standards Matter, a podcast about professionalism and accountability in real estate. The following scenario is inspired by a real professional conduct case. Some details have been altered for storytelling purposes, and we've removed all identifying information to respect the privacy of those involved. Disha Kaur was on edge. After years of discipline, sacrifice, and saving, Disha was finally in a position to buy her first home. For over two months, she had been working with Carson Murphy of Good Home Realty, searching for the perfect place. The market was moving fast, and Disha had seen her fair share of disappointment. Luckily, Carson had been a rock for her during this often frustrating experience. Disha's friend referred her to Carson, and the two hit it off. Carson was a no-nonsense realtor, willing to support her throughout the process. And that night, she needed that support. It was 10.55, and Disha had been nervous all day. Carson was at her tiny one-bedroom rental in Kits for the past hour. They were waiting on a response on their latest counteroffer on Disha's dream home in Port Moody. It was perfect for her. Close to transit, minutes from some of the best local trails, and of course, walking distance from Brewer's Row. But Disha had been through the scenario before. The thought of losing out on another condo was weighing on her. Carson was confident. He started his career during the boom period of 2015. While he was only a few years into it, Carson was well-versed in this scenario. While not promising the moon, he explained that while there was another buyer interested days ago, and Disha's first offer was rejected, her latest counter was likely the only offer in consideration. In fact, he spoke with the seller's realtor earlier that day, and they didn't disclose any new offer. Chances were, the home was hers. Carson's phone buzzed on the table. Excited, he lunged towards it. It was the seller's realtor. Sorry, the text read. We accepted another offer. Disha noticed the smile drop from Carson's face. It was bad news. But how, Carson thought. There were no other offers. They were negotiating back and forth for days. He did his due diligence. Something was up and he was going to find out. Welcome to the third episode of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver's Standards Matter podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Westaway. In each episode, we explore scenarios inspired by real professional conduct and arbitration cases reviewed by your board to give you practical insight and tips on how to strengthen professionalism in real estate and serve your clients better. Our professional standards advisors vet and approve all information in this podcast. In this episode, we look at communication and its vital role in the real estate process and how managing expectations using accurate surgical language can help you avoid complaints. Now back to the case. Annie Minasian was excited to see her longtime client and real estate investor, Mike Van, stop by Top System Realty. Sure. She was already swamped, but Mike was the perfect client, astute, savvy, and even-tempered. In this busy market, the prospect of working with a low-maintenance seller was a welcome relief. 
After a brief catch-up over coffee, Annie realized she had recently sold a unit for a different client in the same building just a few weeks prior. This meant a lot of the typical legwork for a comparative market analysis was already sitting in a folder on her desktop. Mike was pleased and, after signing an agency agreement, Annie was once again helping Mike sell a condo. That night, after negotiating a sale, putting together three offers, and editing a virtual showing video, Annie started building Mike's CMA. She sent it to him with a suggested list price and went upstairs for a good night's sleep. Mike called the next day. He liked the CMA, but felt the hot market could fetch him a higher return. Annie obliged and listed the condo at Mike's suggested price. At this price, she thought, she'd need to be aggressive in her marketing to garner interest. She scheduled an open house and began promoting it on social media. A few days before her planned open, Annie received a text from Carson Murphy of Good Home Realty. He had a client who was interested in the place and planned to send an offer. She responded courteously, received the offer, and presented it to Mike. Because it was below the asking price, Annie advised that they should wait until after the open house to see if they got more offers, even though that meant letting this offer expire. The open house came and went, and thanks to Annie's social media savvy, it was a success. There was lots of traffic and one potential buyer planned to make an offer. Annie was excited, but when she woke up the next morning, there was nothing in her inbox. Her phone buzzed. It was Carson. He was looking to see what the status of the home was. Annie mentioned another offer could be coming shortly and she'd get back to him. Annie decided to be proactive and reached out to the potential buyer's realtor. The two chatted and the realtor said his client was willing to make an offer on the condo at the list price. Jokingly, she told him she'd hold him to it. The two chuckled and she hung up, but still no offer came in. The next day, Carson called again. He was persistent, asking if other offers had come. Annie answered with a firm yes. It was a verbal offer in her mind. Besides, Mike wasn't going to accept anything that wasn't at least asking. Mentioning the competition would help signal to Carson that his client needed to do better. This was part of the process that Annie lived for, the negotiation. Carson's second offer was closer to what Annie was hoping for, but still seemed low. She discussed the two options with Mike and they agreed to make a counteroffer that expired the next evening. Annie hoped the pressure would motivate Carson and his client to make a higher offer. It worked. Carson soon phoned Annie. He asked about any new offers. Annie said there aren't any new offers or counteroffers. She started to chew the inside of her lip. Without the leverage of another offer, she was worried she wouldn't get the price she wanted. The next day, she received a call from an unknown caller who introduced himself as Gary LaPointe. The name rang a bell, and Annie realized he was at the open house days ago. Gary wanted to make an offer with no conditions and significantly over asking. It was too good to be true. He mentioned he was unrepresented, and Annie got to work right away on drafting an offer for him. She finished up and called Mike to set up an 8 p.m. meeting to present Gary's offer. A notification then popped up on her laptop. It was a further counteroffer from Carson to expire at 11 p.m., while it was in line with what Annie thought the home was worth, the new offer from Gary was much better. Throughout the day, her phone wouldn't stop buzzing. It was Carson. He was being persistent. She kept her responses brief. Things like, we're reviewing the offer and still waiting on my client. 
finally, that afternoon, Carson called her. Annie mentioned her plan to present the latest counteroffer to Mike that night. Annie tried to maintain her professional tone, but sensed that he could hear the frustration in her voice. But there was something she left out of the conversation, Gary's unconditional offer. Later that evening, Annie made her way to Mike's place with the golden offer from Gary in hand. She presented it alongside Carson and Deisha's. It was a no-brainer for Mike. He accepted Gary's offer as Annie expected, her client was happy, and so was she. As Annie left Mike's place, she looked down at her watch. It was late, much later than she thought, almost 11 p.m. She realized she hadn't let Carson know that Mike rejected the offer. Their counter expired at 11 anyways, but she thought it was a professional gesture to send Carson a text advising that another offer had been accepted. Annie came home, toasted herself with a glass of wine, as was her tradition, and slipped away into a peaceful night's sleep, unaware of the storm that was brewing for her. The next morning, her phone rang. It was Carson, and he was livid. You never said a word about a competing offer, he said. We were in contact all day. When did the offer come in, he asked. Annie replayed the previous day's conversations in her head. She explained it was a last-minute offer from an unrepresented buyer. She was sorry his client lost out, but she was just following her client's instructions. It was the better of the two deals. Carson said his client still had budget left, and if Annie had disclosed that there was another offer, they would have made a higher counter. Annie reiterated that she did what the client asked, Carson ended the conversation, and soon after, Annie received a call from her managing broker. Investigation and consent to discipline. Carson filed a formal complaint against Annie at the board. It was complicated, and the board's Professional Conduct Committee's investigative panel delved into the situation. They poured through Annie's records, gathered statements from the clients, Annie, Carson, and their managing brokers. After sifting through the details, they decided the case was clear-cut. They proposed consent to discipline based on a breach of Article 3 of the Realtor Code and Sections 4.04 and 6.08a of the Rules of Cooperation. Article 3 of the Realtor Code states, A realtor shall protect and promote the interests of his or her client. This primary obligation doesn't relieve the realtor of the responsibility of dealing fairly with all parties to the transaction. And sections 4.04 and 6.08a of the Rules of Cooperation state, in the event that the listing brokerage has more than one written offer to be presented unless otherwise instructed by the seller in writing, the listing brokerage shall, prior to any offer being presented, inform the other cooperating brokerages involved of the existence of the other offer of the other offers or counteroffers without disclosing their specific terms and conditions. And a member shall not conduct herself nor permit her employees to conduct themselves in such a manner as to prejudice her reputation or the reputation of the board. Annie consented, paying thousands of dollars in fines on top of a mandated education regimen to bring her up to speed on the rules at her expense. Preventative action. What could Annie have done to avoid a situation like this? We sat down with ethics guy Kim Spencer, REBGV's manager of professional standards, to discuss the case. 
So, Kim, what could the realtor have done in this scenario to satisfy both her client and the seller? In real estate, all contracts must be in writing. So how can there be such a thing as a verbal offer? It's a great question. I don't think a lot of people understand that. There are two kinds of contracts. There's oral contracts, and those are created when two people talk to each other and make an agreement. And there are written contracts. So a contract involving real estate in the province of BC is only enforceable if it is made in writing and properly signed. So that's the issue. A verbal offer, if members engage in doing those offers, counteroffers, and so forth, the risk to them is that their client might think that they've somehow entered into an enforceable contract. They haven't. They've got an oral agreement that may be enforceable if it can be proven, but who the heck can approve that kind of thing or, or prove it in court? So that's why there's a standard of putting contracts in writing so that their clients don't have a deal until they have a document, either electronic or physical, that's been properly executed and delivered to all the parties. Does having an unrepresented buyer complicate things? Do the rules of cooperation still apply here? Well, it shouldn't complicate things because when we deal with members of the public, they're either going to be represented or not represented. And since the rules of cooperation govern how members must interact with each other, uh, the rules are the same for either, whether someone's represented or not. It can complicate things a little bit in terms of who understands what. I'm sure the member understands that the person they're dealing with is not represented. The key is, does that person who doesn't have representation understand that? Do they truly understand that? And so if they expect the member to be giving them agency representation to disclose anything and all things that wouldn't be disclosable necessarily to an unrepresented party, that, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? What could Annie's managing brokers have done to resolve this? You know what? We have uh, very good brokers. We're, we're lucky. I'm lucky in, in my department to have managing brokers who more often than not will pick up the phone or get their keyboard ready and communicate with the, the other broker when there's a problem. Some aren't very good at this. Some don't want to do it at all, but they really should because two people talking together can solve a whole pile of problems. Which would you rather have? A problem amicably resolved or reasonably amicably resolved between <laughs> two brokers? Or would you have rather have the professional conduct committee wading in when someone's been so upset or frustrated that they have to come to the board to get their situation fixed? How often does the board receive complaints like this one? Uh, well, we do get them. Uh, I don't have numbers, but they're frequent enough that we're always looking at the multiple offer rule, the 4.02 presenting offers without delay and we're always looking at those. Those rules have been amended more than once over the last 10 years. And it comes as a function of the extremely busy market we have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we do get complaints. Perhaps not as many as people might think, but yes, we do. Why is precise language important in a real estate transaction? Yeah, why is precise being precise important about anything? I mean, would you like to have a surgeon who's not very precise? How about a dentist? How about the guy driving next to you in the lane? You know, what if he considers that yellow or white line to be just a suggestion? I mean, being precise in a profession is what we're all about. And with all that money on the line, good enough is not good enough. We keep telling people we're professionals, 
but we have to walk the walk and act like professionals in all that we do. Otherwise, you know, there'll be a loss of trust and it can't be a professional without public trust. Thanks, Kim. It seems like communication was at the heart of the issue here. Keeping that in mind, we all know the market has been really busy lately. Multiple offers are common, and we're getting a lot of questions from members and their clients about dealing with multiple offer situations. So my last question is, what can a realtor do to make a multiple offer smooth, fair, and transparent for everyone involved? That's a great question. Given that there are usually two real estate agents on both sides with their clients who have opposing interests, given that there's a lot of money at stake, there's someone's home at stake, there's a lot of emotion. And, you know, people aren't always at their best in that kind of situation, especially the buyers and sellers. I mean, they don't do it a lot. So it's is often people are very, very stressed out. So I guess at the top of my list, if I could wave a magic wand, it would be to suggest that members manage their clients or unrepresented parties' expectations at the very beginning. Tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Make sure they understand what their role is. Make sure they understand what our role is. And make sure they understand that there's certain things the other side may choose to do because that's in their best interest. And that's what they want to do. So you roll with the punches. You communicate with everybody as much as you can. And you keep calm and polite. It works out most of the time. I, I think we may think that there's train wrecks all over the place, but there really aren't. There are 120,000 deals done in the province of BC in 2021. We heard about some of them, but we certainly didn't hear about most of them. Very insightful. Thanks again, Kim. Do you have a question or comment for the podcast? We'd love to hear it. Reach out to us on REBGV's member Facebook group or shoot us an email at standardsmatter at rebgv.org. For more information on professionalism, including our conduct and arbitration cases, visit our member website at www.rebgv.ca. And that's a wrap. I've been your host, Andrea Westway. On behalf of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Standards Matter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver.